Men's Alliance is a growing movement of tribes meeting weekly for a rugged outdoor workout and a real-world devotion around a fire. We're flipping tires, swinging sledgehammers, talking about real struggles, and getting pushed physically and spiritually to become the husbands, fathers, and leaders God designed us to be. We'll get you out of isolation, out of your comfort zone, and into something tribal, rugged, and real. Good morning. Welcome to the Men's Alliance podcast. I am David Goose Mills. I am Dusty Shadow Parker. I am Jeff Fresh Van Atta. And guys, we have an extreme honor today that I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest that we have with us on our podcast. This is Vice Admiral William Dean Lee, who is the former Atlantic Area Commander for the U.S. Coast Guard, retired. <clears throat> And then Admiral Lee has 36 years active duty experience in the Coast Guard. He commanded 21,000 active duty personnel. So this is a man who knows about leadership and he knows what it takes to accomplish a mission. He's also a Richmond area native. So that's pretty cool to have him with us. Married 40 years, two children, three grandchildren, I believe it is. And, um, He's a man who's not afraid to speak truth to a truth-fearing world, right? And that's what he's doing this week, as uh, we might get to in some of our topics today. He's making a big splash this week, in fact, um, which I'm excited for him to share a little bit about. But our topic today is manhood and culture. And this is a man who absolutely understands both. So Admiral Lee, thank you for being here. It's great to have you with us. Good morning, sir. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. I just want to um, give you the platform to tell us a little bit about what you've seen in your career regarding manhood and culture, the good, the bad, the changes going on. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. <clears throat> so I entered the service in 1981. Um, I'm a graduate of officer's candidate school. I didn't go through the, uh, the Coast Guard Academy like so many others did. I, I couldn't even gotten into the academy with, with my grades in high school. So my session point was after getting a college degree. I applied and I got accepted. And after getting accepted to uh, officer candidate school, I show up there. I'd done for pretty well in college. Um, and I was pretty confident that um, I was going to, I had this nailed because I thought uh, Officer Cannon School was all about uh, the physical aspect of it. It's about the running and the hiking and the, and the swimming. And, and I was in pretty good shape. And so I could do as many push-ups as anybody needed me to do. No worries there. But then I found out that the other half of it was, uh, it was a lot of academics. You know, I had to learn a whole lot of uh, a new terms that I'd never heard before and learn how to plot. And we had actually had to learn how to do celestial navigation, which is a science that still befuddles me. Uh, and I tried hard. I mean, I was working, man. I was man. I managed to work my way up, uh, with all that. I was, I graduated second from the bottom wow. of my class. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so nice. I was the least likely guy in my class that was ever going to make it to Admiral. And I ended up 36 years later being the last man standing. And I, I tell that story because there's hope for everybody. You don't have to, you know, my, I figured out that my job was never be, to be the, uh, the smartest guy in the room. You know, the only time I'm, I'm that guy is when I'm in a room by myself or my grandchildren. <laughs> my job was to be the leader, right? Be the leader. So I ended up uh, stationed down in, uh, in St. Petersburg from my first tour of duty. And I got introduced to the, uh, to the mission of counter narcotics. And we were, we'd go out and we'd patrol and we'd catch guys running uh, large loads of marijuana and uh, motherships, they used to call them. And, uh, I, you know, we would do that at nighttime. And then during the day, uh, we, sometimes we, if we were on one of the patrol boats, we'd anchor up and go scuba diving. Nice. <laughs> I mean, who, and you get paid for that. I mean, that was the greatest job. In the this world. is also a nice Coast Guard <laughs> recruiting podcast. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a great organization. I love it to death. But in those days, in the early 1980s, um, we didn't we didn't have all of this stuff in our face. The the 
the modern military men and women have the, all this 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 cultural diversity stuff um the lgbt stuff was absolutely non-existent then i mean i knew that we had men and women that were of that persuasion and i didn't it didn't bother me and i didn't care about it i all i cared about if if you're a coastie just do your job just do your job but actually because of the laws back then it was actually a violation of the uniform code of military justice if you were uh, exposed as a homosexual they would discharge you then right well then years several years later when during the clinton administration as as we progressed um culturally uh, as the nation is evolving on those kind of things they came up with a new policy and it's called don't ask don't tell yep. and so now you're no longer going to discharge anybody you know so it just don't tell it, and we wouldn't ask and i knew that i had uh, many good men and women working for me that i suspected might have been uh members of the lgbt community but didn't bother me not in fact i'd venture to say that the highest performance evaluation that i ever gave another officer was to a female a gay female but we never talked about it year or two when i was on active duty then they wanted to repeal that and they did and so now don't ask don't tell is out and now it is like out in the open and openly celebrated yeah and that's when for christian men and women it became uncomfortable because now it's in your face it's in your face and you don't dare say anything about it you can't say anything about it. And if you dare, and put, it put operational commanders like me in an awkward position as a Christian because, you know, I didn't come here thinking we would get into that YouTube, that speech. But let me tell you the backstory on that because this is an incredibly good story that's actually connected, now that I think about it, to what's happening today, this very day. So, you know, going back to the the unlikelihood of me ever being a guy like me second from the bottom of his class ever making it to admiral i mean you think about that miracle and then yeah so my my favorite scripture people often ask me this you know when it was your favorite scripture it's romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for good for those that love god and who are called according to his purpose who are called so i make it through all those wickets against all those odds and and I, I i make it to admiral and uh i am at w when you make admiral or general in any of the services there's this course mandatory course executive development course schoolhouse that you go to and it's called capstone and it's sponsored by the chairman of the joint chiefs and so you clues together all of the new newly minted one stars from the various services and the we we kind of meet at National Defense University was first day and then uh, and we actually end up over the course of the next six weeks or so traveling the world together in a C-17 in my case. And we, we just we go everywhere and we, we visit combatant commanders and we go we visit the uh, senior military officials in other countries. In my case, we went all over Africa, multiple countries. And this is the this is kind of the liaison thing you do, this relationship building thing. But I'll never forget, I was at the Pentagon one afternoon while I was in this course, and we were getting a briefing from a, a major general, Air Force Major General on the joint staff in the Pentagon. And I forget what topic it was. He was he he had given us a, a hour-long PowerPoint on on the elements that he was responsible for, and it was the last course of the day. And he finished up a little bit early. You know, we're tired. We're worried. We've been PowerPointed to death. Yep. And and he turns to us and he says, guys, he says, listen, um, if you don't mind, he says, I'm, I'm done with these slides. You know, you got any questions on these? No, no questions. We wanted to go back to the hotel. We're tired. He says, if you don't mind, I'd just like to make two comments to you. He says, this is actually my last, the last time I'll ever give a briefing. I'm retiring on Friday. He says, I want to congratulate you guys uh, for what you're about to do. He says, I was there five years ago, six years ago. He says, I, 
He says, I, I want to give you two pieces of advice uh, that I wish they'd have told me when I was in Capstone. The first thing he said was, um, he says, listen, just don't forget this. He says, you got to absolutely remain apolitical in everything you do and say. Well, you know, well, I get that. I mean, we hadn't gotten to that grade of officer without understanding you don't you don't show your colors on that stuff. You just you're a public servant. Right. So I didn't really think I needed that advice. But then he said, and thing two, he says, you guys have got to check your religion in at the door. Mm-hmm. Don't bring that to work with you. He said, I wish all of you well, uh, have a good career. And, and, and he, he, he stepped away from the podium and, and, and everybody's getting their papers and uh, stuff together. Cause they want to go get on the bus to go back to the hotel we're staying at. And, and I wanted so much to stick my hand up in the air and say, what way went general general? What did you mean by that? Right. What, ex- why did you make that statement? What happened to you? But I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. You know, there's always that guy that holds the class right. up. So I'm not going to be that guy today. Saying, yep. and, and so, but I wish I had. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter, really, does it? Because that general gave us that piece of advice because, A, he had either been a guy who had been beaten down or chastised for bringing his faith to the workplace or B we'd seen it happen. Yeah. He had been the guy that did the beat down, but what it did was it planted that seed of fear in all of us. You don't talk about that. Yeah. You don't talk about that here. So we left and I had always after I got saved at, at the ripe old age of 41 years old, it changed the way I led and it changed the way I, I conducted business. But I always, when I went into the wardroom to have break bread with my, with my uh, officers, I would always tell them on day one, when I reported to them, I said, would y'all mind, do y'all mind if I pray before we eat? And of course, Nobody did. Nobody. Ever. So I would always just give grace. I'd give thanks at the, at the wardroom table. It was just a thing. Nobody ever complained about it. That's such a great question, by the way. Do you mind if I pray? Yeah. Do you mind? Yeah. Nobody's going to say no. And they didn't, but, but some would say that's undue command influence, yeah. but you know what? I didn't care. I didn't care. I asked them, do you mind? Nobody challenged me. But, um, so I tell you that because years later, now I'm a two star and I'm at Coast Guard headquarters and I get called up to the commandant's office one day and he says, Dean, I'm going to send you to this, uh, this course called Pinnacle. And I never heard of it before. I didn't even know what it was. Pinnacle. Well, what I found out when I went back and asked my boss, what's Pinnacle? He says, whoa, Pinnacle. He says, that's the last, that's the highest level course that the military has for, for general officers and flag officers. He says, they only send three stars to that. That's tipping their hand that you're going to be a three star. Hmm. Whoa. I was too naive to even know that. Right. So I show up at Pinnacle. And now instead of 48 generals and officers, like I started with at Capstone, now we're down to seven or so. Cause now, you know, they've, they thin the herd out. Now they've, they've figured out who are the men and women that we're now going to put into that level, because from there you will end up picking your future service chiefs and four stars from that small pool. Mm-hmm. And so, we were exposed to some of the biggest and brightest and most powerful people in the federal government. And we had some really, including the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I mean, we had conversations around the table with people at that level. But of all those conversations we had, and that was a one-week thing. That wasn't a, a, a six or eight week. We didn't travel anywhere. We just sat in a room. At that time, it was at the Joint Forces uh, Command down in, uh, in Suffolk. But... Um, 
They sent one guy down from the White House. He was on the national security staff. He was a retired three-star army officer who is now as a civilian working in the president's, um, on his staff. And, and he had been dispatched to go talk to us about that delicate dance that senior military officers have to do with their uh, civilian elected and appointed overseers, the commander in chief, the secretaries, et cetera. And so we talked about a number of people that had gotten crossways like Stan McChrystal or, or Douglas MacArthur and, and gotten themselves fired. And, and it was a great conversation, but, but the point that he made at the very end was probably one of the most important points I have ever heard anybody make at a senior executive school. It was this. He turned to us. He says, gentlemen, he says, I want you guys to be thinking about what issue, what principle you'd be willing to throw your stars on the mm. table for because it just may come to that. So with that long-winded preface, I get to the main point, to the question that you just asked. A, a guy, an average guy like me, make it to Admiral, and then how does he get to three-star? So he gets to, uh, I get a call not long after that. I'm still wearing two stars. It was from Dr. James Dobson's group out there that put together the National Day of Prayer yeah. every year. And they called me one day and they said, they introduced me and said, they said, Admiral, he says, we got your name from somewhere. We'd like to ask you if you would be willing to represent the five military services at this year's National Day of Prayer, which is the first Thursday in May every year. And I got thinking, well, whoa, whoa. I don't really want to do that. <laughs> You know, because they tell us not to bring that stuff to work with us. Don't talk about that. Right. But then I get to thinking, he who denies me, I will deny. Wow. So, I mean, that it was a, it was, this was the challenge. This was the challenge. This was my spiritual challenge. Will you deny me? I, I'm giving you an opportunity to bring glory to me. Yeah. Will you take it? So I swallowed hard and very reluctantly says, yeah, I'd, I'd do it. I was scared to death about what I might end up, the blowback that might come out of that. But, but, but nevertheless, they gave me a 10-minute uh, slot. There's, there's four or five previous speakers that uh, go before the, they have a keynote speaker. And that year it was, uh, it was Pastor Greg Laurie. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was going to keynote. And so they told each one of us warm-up speakers representing like the executive branch, the judiciary, and, and in my case, the military, and there's a pecking order. And, and, and I was the last guy that was supposed to speak before the keynote. And they made it abundantly clear to each one of us, you got 10 minutes and only 10 minutes. Do not go over. Not one minute. You can go under, but do not go over. We got to get Pastor Laurie on exactly at minute 45 because it's nationally televised. So. They'd given me a little business card and it said, Admiral Lee, 1124 to 1134. <laughs> now, I want you to, I want you to kind of contemplate the specificity of that. Not yeah. 1125. I mean, no. we, who, who measures things to the minute like that? But they did. And so I'm sitting there and every single one, I'm waiting my turn. And now I'm the, I am the next guy up in the batting order. And I'm looking at my watch. And they have already eaten into my speech by five minutes. All right. Cause all of them had, had gone just a little over. Right. And uh, so I'm thinking, mm, I got this 10 minute prepared vanilla speech here hmm. that they want me to give. I know I can do this in 10 minutes, but now I ain't got 10 minutes to do it. And so all of a sudden here comes this guy over the moderator and he leans over to me in the second row with my wife. And he says, Admiral, I'm sorry. He says, but we're running behind we're going to have to flip-flop you and Pastor Greg Laurie. Well, I looked up at him with some very grateful eyes, like, because what I'm hearing him say is, sorry, Admiral, thank you for coming, but we got to skip you today. Oh. And I just breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> I was so grateful because I was obedient to God. He, and he took me off the hook. 
<laughs> I wasn't I wasn't going to ex- be exposed to any danger. Right. And and I was great. So I just breathed this sigh of relief. I set my notes down at vanilla speech and I crossed my legs and I listened to Greg Laurie give this awesome sermon. Well, he finishes up 20 minutes later and everybody's clapping and applauding. And we've been in there for three hours now with no breaks. Oh, man. And everybody was ready to go. And then all of a sudden, the moderator, James Dobson, stands up and starts to introduce me. <laughs> and I'm going, what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Nobody speaks after the keynote. I, I They don't want to hear from me. I don't want to hear from me. And it was <laughs> like the panic just went all the way through the roof. Yeah. All the way through. And so as the panic hit a crescendo because, and the reason I was panicked is not because I'm afraid to speak publicly. I've done that by that time in my life, hundreds of times. And it didn't matter the size of the audience. And it really didn't matter that much that there were live cameras in the back. And it didn't matter that it was a room full of executives. I mean, they were senators and congressmen and people from the media in there. What mattered was that I wasn't ready to speak. You know, because even a baseball player, before he stands up and gets in the batter's box, he's out there in the, you know, he's warming up. He's swinging the bat. And a speaker's starting to get his or her mind wrapped in the game. You know, hey, I'm up next. I'm, you know, I'm going to start with this. And so you're ready. But now I'm caught completely off guard. And so because of that, the panic starts to ensue. And then all of a sudden, what happened next was the only way I can describe this is it was the probably the most spiritual moment of my life. You know, for those people that are non-believers and they and they say, um, you know, they listen to guys like me say, "Hey, God, talk to me." Um, then you know they blow you off like some kind of fool, right? But God talked to me in the form of a feeling. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it felt as if somebody was pouring a warm pitcher of water over my head, and it washed away all of that fear. Mm. I mean, I'm being introduced right now. I'm going to be on the podium in, in less than 60 seconds. Right. And I went from extraordinarily panicked to calm And I walked up on that stage literally as he was finishing his remarks. And I turned and I faced that crowd. I left my notes over there. And as I turned, I go, Lord, give me something. Just give me two minutes, three minutes. Give me something. And I faced that sea of cameras in that audience. I took a deep breath and it just started coming. And 14 minutes, 25 seconds later, <laughs> I walked off that stage absolutely certain that was my last day on active duty. Mm. I threw down what the Lord fed me and it went viral. Mm. And the next day, my inbox was full of emails. I was getting text messages. I, I mean, I'm certain this is it. I'm done. I took the next day off. It was a Friday. I took leave. I had all weekend. This thing has gone viral on uh, social media. And man, I know it's going to be talked about. It's going to be talked about over at the Pentagon. Mm. When uh, my commandant, Admiral Papp, goes over there for his weekly meeting in the tank. I knew they were going to ask him something like, you know, what's up with that rogue admiral of yours? You know, because... Politico or one of those inside uh, politics, one of those electronic news right. feeds had put my picture up the next day and it says, Admiral tells Obama what he can do with his Bible control band. That's oh the, my God. That's the headline. <laughs> Here's an Admiral in uniform holding up a Bible in the front, you know, and it's everywhere. And I'm thinking there's no way, no way at all I'm ever going to survive this. And so well, I had all weekend as Mary and I, my wife, we went to uh, lunch after that thing. Um, 
we went to famous dave's barbecue i'll never forget it and i ordered a big old beer i got the biggest beer i could because if i ever needed a beer i needed it then amen and uh i'm sitting there drinking it and by about halfway through that beer we're starting to get giddy because we've been looking forward to retirement for you know eight nine years now and now we get to retire <laughs> and then all of a sudden i get this uh i get this call from a retired general named jerry boykin oh yeah <laughs> i don't know how he got my number but um if i never if i ever needed a call from somebody it was him at that moment all things work together for good mm -hmm. and he said dean i saw what you did uh, i just want to tell you we got your back we awesome got, we got your back brother mm. uh and so my public affairs folks at headquarters they were lighting up my phone saying please admiral don't go on fox don't go on the media don't say that. i said no boys i'm not going to say anything i won't do any media interviews worry not about that and uh, they were all after me they wanted on fox and that was it i'll finish the story after the break Hey, this is Dusty Shadow Parker. I just wanted to take a break here and tell y'all, help us reach more men. We cannot sharpen men into the husbands, fathers, and leaders that God designed us to be without your financial support. Your donations enable us to launch and sustain tribes at more churches and reach more men with the gospel of Christ. Men's Alliance is a 501c3 nonprofit so your financial support is tax deductible. Go to mensalliancetribe.com slash support to join our team. Now go refill up your coffee and enjoy the rest of this podcast. So welcome back from our break. Again, we're talking here with Vice Admiral retired William Dean Lee. And you just shared with us a very powerful story about that National Day of Prayer. How did that play out for you? What happened next? <laughs> so I spent the weekend sorting through the thousands of, literally thousands of emails and, and IMs and that kind of stuff. And um, So now it's Monday and I got to go back to work. Well, at, at Coast Guard headquarters, which is where I was stationed, I was the deputy uh, for uh, director of operations for our service. And so all the admirals in the building gather up kind of in the uh, in the command center every morning at uh, at eight fifteen. And, and we have a uh, we have a brief, you know, it's a normal operational brief. The commandant and everybody goes in there and there's a lieutenant stands up and he, he was, he briefs on everything that happened the last 24 hours and what we got planned the next 24 hours, you know, and then you get through it and you normally we all just, uh, break up and go back to our respective offices and start doing that urgent, but, uh, unimportant stuff that generals and admirals do, uh, from time to time. And, um, as we're breaking up, you know, sometimes we'll, if we've got a colleague in there, cause it's the only time we're going to be in the same room together on certain days. And we'll, if we got something we want to talk about, we'd do it right there. And, and so everybody coming around me, all my buddies, all my other, uh, admirals and going, Dean, man, what up with that speech you made? <laughs> And we're like a bunch of, you know, Lieutenant junior grades. Yeah. You, know, you get admirals in a room, you know, yeah. in a situation like that. Yeah. Yeah. What up with that? What you thinking, man? And then so we, <laughs> I'm going, man, I don't know. I guess it, all of a sudden the commandant who had been heading out, he turns around and he, he sees me and he locks eyes on me. And, uh, he starts walking over towards me and I've been expecting this, right? I know what's coming. I know I'm getting ready to get the invitation to come to his office. He walks up to me and then all my buddies, they part like the Red Sea, man. <laughs> Poof, they're gone. <laughs> he walks over to me. And I want you to understand this. All men need to understand this. What happened next was one of the greatest displays of leadership uh, I have seen. He, he walks up. He grabs my hand. He just shakes my hand. He looks at me. 
And he looks at me the same way a father would look at his son. If he come home from work one day and uh, he sees his son sitting at the kitchen table with his arms folded up, his head down and a mad mother standing over him. And, and mom goes, tell your daddy what you did today. And, 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 and Johnny looks up and he says, uh, uh, dad, I got suspended today. Why? What'd you do? He said, well, I took on Billy, the bully. I got in a fight, and uh, they suspended both of us. I said, uh, and then Dad says, you know, you look at him and you go, well, you know how many times I've told you to turn the other cheek to walk away from that stuff. But Dad looks at him. And he goes, uh, there's just this look while he's saying that. It's this nonverbal look exchanged between them. And it says, without a word spoken, but I'm proud of you, son. Mm-hmm. He looked at me, shook my hand, and he said, um, how you doing, Dean? I go, um, I'm doing good, Admiral. How are you? <clears throat> He goes, I'm doing well, too. You have a good day. Hmm. And that was the last he ever said about it. Wow. He had my back. Because there was a man that was a Christian himself. And he admired the courage that it took to stand on your faith and your values. So instead of getting fired that day, that teed me up to get a third star. Mm. Wow. Not because of it, but in spite of it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having the largest operational command in the United States Coast Guard. Amen. That is a uh, story. You know, <clears throat> what I'm hearing from you is boldness for your faith in your workplace. Right. And this is something that every single man, uh, just about every single man right. encounters, right? Whether you're, you know, plumber, electrician, insurance salesman, IT, or three-star admiral, right? This is a lesson that I think scares every man, right? Because we're providers and and our ability to uh, provide financially for our family is at stake. That's right. And it comes into direct conflict at times, moment to moment with our role as Christians and being bold. And, you know, you think through the New Testament, we've got all these examples of men being imprisoned being bold, praying for more boldness when they get released, right? And then you look at what's happening to men in our culture today and how so many men are sitting on the sidelines, afraid to open their mouth. And that's why your story, I think, resonates so strongly here in this room with us is because we're looking to you and we're like, man, this guy was willing to throw his stars on the table to step up to the podium and say what he felt God put on his heart to say. Right. So that, that brings me, the dots are starting to connect here. You know, I thought uh, for a while there that, uh, that God had prepared me for that day, that he needed somebody bold enough to go up there and, and, and make a choice between those two, three-letter words that we all love so much have to make a choice between God and job. Right. Which one will you take? Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, because I passed that test, he, he let me have another job, the biggest, most coveted job in the United States Coast Guard. And so I served two years as, a, as Atlantic Air Commander, and there was no other test there like this. Retired and went home, and six years later, I get a call from a from an, a lawyer. Sunday morning, three weeks ago, I'm I just come home from church, and the phone rings, and there's a lawyer from South Carolina who's reached out to, to find. A, he got my name off of a, 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 a website where I had signed a letter with about three or four hundred other generals and officers supporting the conservative cause. And um, he needed to, he needed a senior Coast Guard guy to talk to, so he he contacted me. 
And he said, uh, he said, Admiral, I'm representing seven Coast Guard Academy cadets who just got expelled from the, from the Academy because uh, they won't take the vaccine. I said, well, so, I mean, how can I help you? I says, if that's what the services are doing, I mean, what, what, so what? He says, well, that's precisely the point. That's not what all the other service academies are doing. The Coast Guard's the only service academy doing that. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, there's an injunction right now on, on uh, put on the Navy uh, and others because of these lawsuits regarding the legality of uh, the order that mandated the vaccine itself and also the looking at the efficacy and all of those issues is being sorted out in the court. So they've taken a pause. Right. But but your guys at the academy, they've just flushed them, flushed them out but with no concern whatsoever about their request for religious accommodation. They had requested, based on their faith, not to take that vaccine. It's an experimental vaccine. And um, I said, oh. And he said, look, I'm going to. I'm going to publicly shame the Coast Guard for doing this. If you can't get this turned off, do you know anybody at, uh, that can turn this around? And I says, well, I know the common. I served with her. So I so said, let me, let me see if I can help you here. So I sent the commandant a private email, not copied nobody else on it, uh, to tell her, hey, look, Emerald, I, I, I think you expose the organization and in, in our brand that we both love so much to some vulnerability here um, because you're, you're treating these people differently than the other academies are. And by the way, you're, we're, we're running around beating ourselves on the chest and giving high fives to each other about how, how much emphasis we put on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and, and these seven cadets, uh, they're, they're, they're all minority status. Five of them are, are, are members of my minority groups. Two of them are Caucasian females. There's not a white male in the group. I says, this is the perfect DEI scorecard. I mean, I don't look like it's putting a whole lot of emphasis on diversity, but let's go to the next part, equity. I mean, this is not equitable at all if you take a look and compare them with their unvaxxed counterparts at Annapolis and West Point because they put a pause on this while they sort this mess out. And lastly, and this is the one that, con that, that concerns me the most, is it's certainly not inclusive. Because while you go to great lengths to include everybody of any, any identity group, you name it, you're excluding men and women of faith, Jews and Gentiles, who want to stand on that faith and resist what we believe might be and what the DOD IG himself says is probably an illegal order. They don't look good. You ought to just get him back to the academy and turn this off, and he won't go public. Yeah. I don't get a call. I don't even get a response. So I wait a week. I wait seven days, and I send another email, this with a little bit more information in it. Meanwhile, the lawyer's chomping at the bit to go public on this thing. And in that, um, that went to the chief of, uh, of personnel. I copied his boss, who's another three-star, and I also copied the chief of public affairs because I knew if this thing breaks publicly, it's going to make his day miserable. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I wait. I get a nice, the next morning, I got a very nicely worded little response back from the chief of public affairs who was in the two line. And he says, Hey, Dean, hey, thank you for your note. Um, hope you and Mary are well. Um, got it. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, we'll consider. And nothing. I don't ever get a response back. Mm -hmm. Nothing. So I wait four or five more days. Again, I got a call from the commandant's executive assistant he's a captain he says admiral he says uh, uh admiral fagan wanted me to just call you and tell her she finally saw your email and uh she says she's on extended travel right now so it's, uh when she get back in a week or two uh, she'll uh, she'll give you a call i said um of course i know that 
commandant, like everybody else on the planet, has a cell phone. I don't care where she is on the planet, it works. I knew what, this is just a delaying tactic. I said, don't, I don't want to intrude on her busy schedule. Why don't you just uh, send her a note and, uh, and say, um, I really just want to know the answer to one question. Do you intend to send those cadets back to the academy or not? No answer. None. Zip. So I said um, to the lawyer, I said, Mike, as much as I hate to do this, as much as I hate to confront the service and the friends that are now running that service that I love so much, I'll go public with this over that very issue, the absolute unconcern for the violation of their First Amendment rights to exercise their faith. Mm -hmm. This is a constitutional issue. And so I have a friend that is a reporter for the Daily Wire named Megan Basham. She does a podcast frequently. I called her up and I said, you want this story? I'll give you an exclusive. And it broke the next day. And that went up national. Mm. And so the Coast Guard's response to that was immediately discharged them. Not, not only did they not bring them back to the academy, they gave them their walking papers. They got their DD-214s and they're gone. They're flushed out. Wow. And to me, that was the functional equivalent of shooting me to finger. Mm-hmm. We don't care about that religious freedom stuff. Yeah. We just care about getting rid of unvaxxed people. Mm-hmm. Well, people started coming out of the woodwork after they saw that story break where I was trying to advocate for them, them poor young people who had had their dreams crushed. And now I've got, I got rescue swimmers. I've got pilots, I've got men and women from all ranks and rates in our service going, Armour, what about us? What about us? Mm. And so then I found out that of 1,200 requests for religious accommodations from our workforce, uh, they were all denied with the exception of 12. And those 12 were for men and women who already had retirement dates on the books mm-hmm. approved or they were getting ready to be relanded. And, um, I said, that's wrong. And so I decided to expand this battle. It went from seven cadets, seven cadets to the entire workforce. And by extension thereof, I hope and pray that it will jump across lines from the Coast Guard into DOD and that the same questions will be being asked by each one of the other service chiefs. Because yesterday I went public with a press release that now has me, one small admiral from the smallest service in the United States, taking on the Pentagon's policy it's not the Pentagon's policy as much as it is the president's policy. Right. And yeah. So right. I am at war now with the, with the federal government and I am scared to death. I'm scared to death. Um, I'm on an Island. I'm on an Island. Kind of like all those guys that ran away in that command center that morning when they saw the commandant coming, Hmm. they've done the same thing now. There's not many who are supporting me. And I'm doing it for those men and women of faith because I truly believe that this is a war of principalities. And then this is the devil's way himself of purging this is an ideological purge of the United States military. No, that's exactly what it is. It, it's not about the vaccine. It's about ideologies. And right. I just want to say, because I read your your letter that you, you sent, um, for our listeners, this is not about the vaccine. The Admiral, you are vaxxed. I'm vaxxed. <laughs> I, yeah. As am I. Right. So this is not about vaccine. This is about religious freedom. That's it. Right. right. And so just so our listeners understand that he's not anti-vax, he's uh, pro-religious freedom. And hearing you say 
that you're scared to death. I just can't help but think about you um, when you're sitting there and all of a sudden Dobson starts to introduce you. Right. It just, when you said that, it just reminded me of that moment where you said you were, you were scared. Right. And here you are, you're getting introduced again and you're about to walk up to a new podium and take a new stand. It's funny you should say that because thinking back on it, that moment that I described when that picture of water was poured over my head, you know, and it washed away the fear. I've kind of had the same experience over the last few days because um, I've just got this calmness about me that the Lord led me up to that podium at the National Day of Prayer to see if I'd walk through that door. And by being obedient to that call, he led me to a, a bigger and level a, a bigger command, the biggest one in the Coast Guard. And then, six years later, he's dragging me back in to the fight from the bench. Yep. Because he had given me a platform by making me an admiral, the most unlikely of them at that of the largest command in the smallest service. In it. And he said, I need you now. They need you now. My servants who are standing on their faith need a leader. Are you willing to stand up for them? Yes, Lord. So very reluctantly, very reluctantly, I let that release that letter go yesterday. And let me tell you, the men and women that I'm fighting for, they're coming out of the woodwork. Absolutely out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. I'm getting IMs and emails. They're coming here. I'm looking at my cell phone light yeah. up right now. It's just going, it's going crazy. Thank you, Admiral. Thank you, Admiral. Thank you for standing in the gap for us. So I feel like David must have felt when he walked out on that battlefield and he faced that giant. Yeah. David didn't walk out there. He ran out there. So I know how my battle ends. I don't believe it's going to be like David's battle was. Who knows? The Lord would direct this. Because I've turned it all over to him. I said, Lord, just give me the right opportunities. Give me the right words like you did at the National Day of Prayer. I will do it. I will walk out on that battlefield. And I feel like it's going to end like this. I know how it ends. It, it ends like, remember the 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 battle of the, of Thermopylae, when the Spartans, 300 Spartans went out to defend the gap, they stood in the gap, they had the high ground yep. and they were facing an overwhelming army of Persians, thousands. Right. And they all died in the end. Mm -hmm. Every one of them died, but they sure took down a lot of Persians. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And you know, their actions yeah. They stood in the gap just long enough for a larger right. army to form behind them, That's right? right? And you think about their actions were, right. were just empowering and emboldening those who would come up behind them. Yeah. So that's where I am. I'm scared. Uh, I have walked out in front facing a giant bureaucracy that is hell-bent on maintaining course and speed. But uh, as my only colleague that's in my camp, Admiral Pete Brown, told me the other day, it's, it's like people will, the Lord will line up folks to give you just the right words at the right moment. And he said, he says, Dean, this is how I see it. He says, large bureaucracies and organizations are slow to change course. 
once they find the error of their ways, he says, uh, most of the time it takes an external force. We aim to be that force. Yes, sir. I aim to be that force. And all I can do is ask that um, men and women uh, out there and, uh, are aware of this battle and I face right now, they, uh, they pray. They pray that they might go online and comment on this stuff in the news feeds that they're coming out because I'm getting beat up by uh, the other side, um, that they might bring this to the attention of their elected representatives and that uh, they themselves will be willing to think about that day when they might be asked to stand in the gap themselves, when they might actually be asked, to, like I was asked, what's so more important, God or job? And that they take that bold step. You know, I, the best definition of courage that I have ever heard was by John Wayne. And he said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Yeah. That's where I'm at right now. I am scared to death, but I've saddled up. And God doesn't ask for our worthiness he asked for our willingness you know you so just, just be willing even if you don't feel you're worthy be willing to do my will that's right it's just like just be willing and he will surround you with just the right people like jerry boykin right at the right time right and you got to remember you're no just regular admiral you're the rogue admiral <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's get... how i will refer to you from now on <laughs> all right guys Admiral, you know i know you're short on time yeah. and you've got to take off you've got other interviews and uh and podcast and tv interviews to do today and we're just thankful for your time and um you know i just want to remind our listeners right like the admiral said you might feel sometimes like you're on an island but i promise you you are not alone on that island right we're we're on it with you uh, the Admiral's on it with you. Men like General Boykin are on it, right? So this has been a fantastic conversation, sir. Um, will you come back? <laughs> I will. I look forward to having you on here again. And uh, thank you again for your time and for your testimony and your witness, helping all of us to be more bold at our places of work, right? I love how you put that God or job. And sometimes we have to decide if this is the moment where we're ready and willing to throw our stars on the table. That's it. Man, uh, thank you for listening and look forward to seeing you around the fire soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Men's Alliance podcast. Find your tribe at mensalliancetribe.com or maybe you're the man to start one in your area. And send us your questions or comments to info at mensalliancetribe.com. We'd love to hear from you and we look forward to seeing you around the fire soon.